0: The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's word is a real blessing to you. Turn to Romans chapter one. Romans one this morning. And uh, we uh, started a new series through the book of Romans uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we did an introduction sermon. And then last Sunday dealt with verses 1 through 7, and today uh, the plan is to get through verses 8 through 15. So let's go ahead and uh, read uh, these eight verses. It says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making a request, if perhaps, now at the last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Two weeks ago, uh, when I introduced the series, uh, I mentioned the fact that when we think of Romans, we, we generally think immediately of all the theology, and, and as well of, of some of the really valuable practical exhortations that, that that Paul gives. So, so we think of Romans essentially as a systematic theology, or maybe secondarily as a book of wisdom. And uh, and I emphasize then, and I want to emphasize again today. that that if you're going to understand Romans, you have to recognize that it is so much more than just a theology textbook. That that it is a story. First of all, about an older apostle. Paul here is at the tail end of his third missionary journey. He is an older man at this point in his ministry, and, and yet he's working hard to finish his ministry well. He's not satisfied. He is pressing to the end. And it's also a story about a real church who was asking big questions and dealing with big challenges. And it's really important that you appreciate that side of Romans because it brings the theology and the exhortations that are coming to life, makes it more meaningful and brings it all together. And of course, we're in the introduction to Romans. And so today, our focus is once again going to be on that side of the book of Romans. And 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 we're going to see that that Paul's passion for the spread of the gospel had not dwindled one bit. He was not satisfied with what he had done. No, he is passionate. He he loves the church, and he still wants to serve the church. And as a result, this passage gives us an important window into Paul's heart and, and as well into early church relationships. We see the dynamic of how Paul related to these churches, how they related to him, and in the process, it sets a really valuable pattern for us of how we should love people, how we should pray for fellow believers, how we should fellowship in the church, and how we should work together to, to reach people for Christ and see them grow into maturity. So I'm sure that there are several ways that, that God wants to use this text in your life. There, we're going to make a variety of applications today. Sometimes there's really just one main thing that everything is, is all about, there's several important things that we can learn from this passage. So, so, so the first challenge, this paragraph begins in, in verse 8 with, with Paul's thanksgiving for the church. And so the first major challenge I want to give is that we must acknowledge God's work, acknowledge God's work. So, so, so the thanksgiving here, verse 8, says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, that Thanksgiving there is pretty typical for Paul's letters. And even when he has major concerns and, and big agenda items that he wants to get to in his letters, he, he always takes time, even in a book like 1 Corinthians, where he has really big concerns and really big issues that he wants to address, he still pauses and takes a moment to recognize God's grace on the church and to thank God for it. And that's a good example for us as we think about our relationships. Because sometimes, uh, particularly with the people who are closest to us, our parents, our children, our spouse, a close brother in Christ, all that we see about those people are the things that are wrong. And so when it's time to engage in a conversation with those people, all we can think about is, is telling them what's wrong in their life and fixing it. And, and as a result, oftentimes, our conversations, our relationships are more disheartening, discouraging, than they actually are edifying and building. And so Paul sets a good pattern for us here of intentional encouragement. You know, that, that, that we need to be good about seeing the evidences of God's grace in people. That, that it's always there if they're in Christ. And, and then acknowledging that to them even if you've got big issues that you've got to address. And that's what Paul does here. He offers glowing encouragement to the Romans. He says, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, now there's a little bit of hyperbole built into that, but it's still quite the statement. And and, and how should we understand this? Well, well, we ought to remember that that Paul had never visited this church. He had never been to Rome before. but, But you can imagine him traveling throughout Uh, the the eastern portion of the Roman Empire preaching the gospel, and and he's going from church to church. And so Paul was in lots and lots of church meetings. And, And you can imagine that occasionally in these church meetings, someone would bring a report about what God was doing in the city of Rome. And they would say, hey, you know, I heard, or maybe I was in Rome, and I came back because, of course, Rome is the center of the world. So maybe someone went to Rome and comes back to Ephesus, and they're like, man, I was with the Roman church. And God is saving people there. God is is working to to encourage His people, they're overcoming adversity, and and God is doing good things in Rome. And and the fact that these reports were coming from Rome uh, probably made them particularly impactful. After all, Rome is the largest, most prosperous, powerful city in the world at that time. So so Rome uh, would have had an aura about it that would be similar to how we think today about New York City. Or London or uh, washington d c they're 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 the kind of the center the the hub of, of world events it's powerful and, and so it's especially encouraging to to the other churches to hear what God is doing in Rome and to remember that God is at work, God is alive and, and man, if God can work in Rome, well then surely he can work in thessalonica and and I just want to highlight here that that Not to the same extent, probably, but, but in a similar way, God is using our church. You know, it's fun when I get to be in other places and talk with other pastors and Christians just to share what, what God has, has done and is doing in our church. And It's fun to have guest speakers and, and people come in and visit our church. And, and, and they always come away impressed and encouraged to see how God is working in California of all places. And and so our church is is a testimony to God's grace. Other churches are a testimony to God's grace. And it's it's a blessing to think that God can use us not just to encourage and and refresh each other here in our community, but but in other places as well, and and that we can do the same. So, so, So Paul, when Paul prayed for the church, he always gave thanks for how God was working among them. And something else I want to highlight from verse 8 is that Paul prioritized Thanksgiving in his prayers. And that's a good example for us because so often when we go to God in prayer, we have a mile of requests and no time for Thanksgiving. You know, God, you're good, you're wonderful. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And it's never, the fact that we don't prioritize Thanksgiving is never because God has not been good. It's more because we are proud and selfish and consumed with worldly cares because God has always been good. And folks, godliness demands that we take time to see the goodness of God, to give thanks to Him for it and rejoice in His blessings. And I think here in particular, we can see as well that we need to see evidences of grace in our brothers in Christ and thank God for them and then tell them, you know, brother, I can see that God is changing you. I can see his, his grace in your life. I'm thankful for what God's doing in your life because that means everything, right? It is such a blessing to hear those words. Proverbs 16, 24 says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bone. So I would encourage you to see God's work in your life and in the lives of others. Give thanks to God. And then tell people that you can see how God is at work in them. So acknowledge God's work. And then verses 9 through 12, uh, Paul moves from thanksgiving for the Romans to his prayer uh, for them. And, and the second major challenge in verses 9 through 12 is to invest in God's people. Invest in God's people. And I'd like to highlight uh, four uh, four. Uh, aspects of Paul's example in verses nine through twelve, and the first is Paul's care. Now, now if you've read through Paul's epistles and you know them well, you, you maybe notice that that this prayer report is, is very different from, from the other prayer reports that Paul gives in his letters. So typically, uh, say in Ephesians or Colossians, Philippians, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, when when Paul gives a prayer report, he, he lays out a very specific vision. ...of what he wants to see God do in that church. He wants them to grow in wisdom. He wants them to be strengthened with God's power. He wants them to to, to grow in love and and fellowship and and those sorts of things. But it's interesting that the only prayer request he gives in this prayer report... ...is that he would be able to visit the church. And, And while he wants to impart some spiritual gift, he says in verse 11... Verse 12 also adds that he hopes to receive ministry from the Romans. Now, that's not normally where his focus is, right? His focus is normally on this is what God needs to do in your life. And I think that the gentler tone in Romans is due to the fact that that Paul is not the spiritual father of this church. He had never even met most of these people, and, and he couldn't assume the same credibility among them that he could at a place like Philippi. So so Paul wisely starts here not by telling them everything that's wrong with you and everything that you need to fix. but He starts with a gentler tone, a more deferential tone. And again, we we can learn something from Paul's thoughtful and humble approach to this relationship. You know, know, and not all of us are wired the same way. Some are wired different than others. But but when you enter a new relationship, maybe you struggle with, with just wanting to go in, assert how what you know... Tell them what they need to fix and how they can be better. And it's good to be confident, right? It's it's always good to be confident, but don't be a bully. And don't come with the attitude that you are God's gift to this individual. No, no, instead, humbly desire to benefit from the person, to learn, to understand, to hear before you give input. I can say for myself that the people who are the biggest encouragements to me are people who are thoughtful and intentional in how they conduct relationships. And you can tell that they're thinking about how to be a blessing, that they've thought through the questions that they're going to ask, and they are taking intentional steps to conduct relationships not based on emotion and reaction, but thoughtfulness and care. So if you want to invest in people, then, then be someone who is thoughtful and, and intentional in how you approach relationships. And then the second aspect of Paul's example is Paul's request. And again, we see in verses 9 and 10, he says, for God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps, now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Now, When I read those verses, I'm reminded that Paul is a preacher, all right? And because he's a preacher, it takes him a really long time to get to his point, all right? So there's a lot of stuff before he actually gets to his prayer request, which comes at the tail end of verse 10. But of course, all the other stuff in verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10 is not mere filler. There's a lot of really good meat and a lot of good encouragement in what Paul has to say. So first of all, he describes himself in verse 9, As someone who serves God in my spirit. In other words, Paul says, my drive for ministry springs from deep in my soul. He's not just going through the motions of serving God. Paul says, I love the Lord, and and from the depths of my being, I serve him. And, And specifically, he says, he was driven to serve God, how? Through the preaching of the gospel of his Son. Yeah, you know, And that's so convicting, because you know, Paul from his heart is saying that he is committed to sharing Christ. And yet so often, we can go long stretches where we never talk to anyone about Christ. And it doesn't bother us, it doesn't faze us that we are not deeply involved in the work of evangelism. And so, it's a good reminder for us here that Paul was, had a deep-seated zeal in his spirit, to share the gospel of Christ, to tell people the good news that Jesus saves, and to invest in people's lives. And then notice that this gospel zeal compelled him to unceasing prayer for the Romans. He says, how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request. And once again, Paul sets a a really convicting example for us there, because think about the fact that Paul had no previous relationship with the Roman church. He had never met the, the vast majority of these people. He had never been to Rome before. And yet he says that he is constantly praying for this church. And he says something similar. Colossians, uh, he had never visited the Colossian church either. And yet he says in Colossians 1 verse 9 that he also prayed unceasingly for the Colossians. So, so just for a moment, imagine Paul's prayer life. Because Paul, he and his associates, had planted a massive web of churches that stretched, as we saw a couple weeks ago, from Illyricum, way up to to the west of Macedonia, all the way down to Jerusalem. I should do it this way for you. Illyricum, all the way down to Jerusalem. Massive amount of churches. And, And Paul clearly prayed unceasingly for all of them. And not just all the churches that he and his associates had started, but as well a Gentile church in Rome that that really he had no previous relationship with. And, And you know what else is interesting is that Paul's prayers for these churches are not, you know, God bless the Roman church, the Philippian church, the Thessalonian church, the Berean church. You know, God, you know, help these people over here. Help those people over there. God bless this person. God bless that person. No, when you look here and you look at his other prayer reports, they are all deeply thoughtful personalized and they are educated. Like he knew what was going on in all these places, what burdens they were bearing, where they were struggling, where they were doing well, and it all filtered into a thoughtful, educated prayer. And and all of it together points to a deep devotion to meaningful prayer. And and it's very different, again, from from how we so often pray. God bless this person, take care of that person, we're distracted. We're in our own world. And so we need to move much closer to Paul's example here. You know, Get to know people. Get to know our missionaries. Build thoughtful patterns of prayer based on education and learning. And commit yourself to unceasing prayer. Of course, then finally, in verse 10, he gets to his request, which is simply that he would be able to succeed in coming to you. Now, now I imagine, based on Paul's other prayer reports, that he probably prayed other things for this church than just, "Lord, please help me go." He probably prayed for their spiritual growth. He, he knew about their struggles to have unity. I'm sure he was praying for all those things, but 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 here he just limits himself to this one simple thing because he's he's trying to build rapport with this new congregation, and and he's he doesn't want to 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 um, to be uh, uh, to make wrong assumptions. And so he just says, I'm praying that I can come. But, but that doesn't mean that, that the request to come is a meaningless request. Now Verses 11 and 12 explain why it is that Paul wanted to visit. And that brings us to the third aspect of Paul's prayer request, or Paul's example, which is his passion for the church. You know, look again at what he says in verse 11. He says, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Now, now, there's some debate over what Paul means here by uh, some spiritual gift. And, and I think that we can rule out spiritual gifts like we normally think of them, like hospitality or teaching or leadership, because God gives those kinds of spiritual gifts at conversion. So, so instead, uh, I think we ought to understand this in light of the fact that the Greek word for spiritual gifts is, is the word charisma, and of course that comes from the root charis, or, or the Greek word for grace. So I think here in this context that the Paul is thinking generally of the fact that I want to come to you, and when I come, I want to impart grace. I want to be a spiritual blessing to this church, and, and he wants to do so for the purpose of seeing that the church is, as he says, established. Or or you could say strengthened or matured. Now now he adds some spiritual gift before that because he doesn't presume to know exactly what he's going to give. He doesn't know their needs. He doesn't know how he can be a blessing. So he just wants to show up, get to know people, recognize where he can be a blessing, and do so. And and, and I love that, that selfless, thoughtful example. Because, again, so often we, we, we come to church and we view the church purely in terms of what I need. Right? Like, like we show up on Sunday thinking, I need X. Or so-and-so better talk to me. People better love me and take care of me. And, and, and when we have that attitude, we are sure to be disappointed. And instead, we, we need to embrace Paul's attitude that, that I just want to go. And I want to be a blessing, however I can be, and just be an, an avenue, a minister of grace to God's people. You've got a number of young people here who are spending your summer working in camp. And, and this, you know, Paul says here, would be a great ambition for you. With, with every relationship, every, every child or teen that you minister to this summer, that you just want to impart some spiritual gift. Get to know them, recognize where you can be a blessing, and serve. And the same passion should drive uh, all of our perspective as we think about the church, as we think about the family and all Christians. That that we ought to to come to church every week zealous to be a channel of God's grace. And if that's your attitude, you want to find people and be a blessing, then you will surely be a blessing, and you will certainly receive far more grace than than if you have a self-centered focus. So that's Paul's passion. Then the fourth aspect of Paul's example is Paul's Humility. So, so look at what he says in verse 12. He says, That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, well among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, now this verse uh, catches our attention because when, when we think of a guy like Paul, we tend to think that a guy like Paul is invincible. Like, like he doesn't have problems, he doesn't have struggles. He's just strong and powerful. He never gets discouraged. He, he never struggles with sin, and, and everything is grand. So when Paul shows up in town, you know, he's just there to meet needs, serve, be a blessing, and, and that's it. But, but like every other great Christian leader, Paul put on his pants one leg at a time. And, uh, and, and he got discouraged as well. He says in 2 Corinthians that that the cares of the churches were often overwhelming for him. So so therefore, Paul was very aware that he was not an island to himself and that he was not spiritually invincible. That's a big reason why uh, we see in the book of Acts that Paul consistently traveled with a team. Because, yes, in part he was investing in these people, but but he needed the support and the encouragement of, uh, of these other men who would travel with him. And he talks in Philippians, for example, about how God often used the churches to minister to him, not just financially, but through their prayers and their encouragement. And so verse 12 reflects that spirit. Apollo was eager to experience the Roman church and to see what God was doing there and to be encouraged by God's work among them and to just enjoy sweet fellowship with another group of God's people. Now, I especially love that last line of verse 12. He, his prayer is that each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine, will be encouraged. And, and it's such a blessing, isn't it, to, to, to enjoy that kind of fellowship with God's people. To, to, you know, Sometimes, and there are times where we just talk about the weather and sports and hobbies and things of that nature. But it's such a blessing to, to engage in deep spiritual conversation. With brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to hear what God is doing in their lives and how they're struggling, how they're succeeding, what they're learning, and to just talk about the Lord. Talk about who God is and how great He is and how good He is. And Paul, you know, Paul's Paul's not coming to Rome just to show up. I'm Paul, listen to me. Let me tell you what you should do. And he's eager to show up, get to know these people, build relationships, and just talk about the Lord. And again, his example is an important challenge for us, because if Paul needed and longed for the mutual support of the church, then I certainly need it too, and so do you. The Christian life is too hard for you to do it on your own. The Bible is clear that he designed the Christian life to be lived in community in mutual dependence. And so we need each other if we're going to thrive spiritually and fulfill our ministry. And of course, all of that, our life together in church, it's all anchored in in what we do on Sunday mornings, right? That we gather around the Word of God to hear the Scriptures and to sing to the Lord. But what Paul here is, is clearly talking about something more than sitting quietly in a church service like you all are doing right now. No, he was excited to build meaningful relationships based on significant spiritual conversation. And if Paul needed that, you need it as well. You know, God never intended church to be a spectator sport, where you just sit there with your bag of popcorn and watch the show. No, no, he wants you to build meaningful relationships of mutual ministry. Yeah, and that's why we do something like a picnic or why we do something like summer small groups it is because, you know, you we're not really getting to know each other much right now other than you getting to know me. And, and so we need times where we get together, we talk, we share. Sometimes we're just goofballs and we, you know, swing and, you know, kick, you know, swing at a kickball and miss or it hits us in the face so we can laugh at each other and be humble with each other. We need times where we can gather around a a theme or a biblical topic and just talk and share and all those things because that is vital to our life together as a body. So embrace Paul's humility. Admit that you need the church and then push yourself into mutual partnerships that strengthen you and, and also strengthen those around you. So invest in God's people and then The third and final and major challenge, the third major challenge in verses 13 through 15 is participate in God's mission, participate in God's mission. So I want to read verses 13 through 15 again, because it's been a little while since we did so. So it says in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So so in these verses, Paul broadens his vision beyond just the church there at Rome to the worldwide mission that God had given Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. And in the process, he strongly reinforces the, the worldwide vision that God has given to us through the Great Commission. So, so I'd like to begin in verse 14 with the stewardship that God had given to Paul. Now he says, I am under obligation to the Greeks, barbarians, wise, and foolish. Now that verse is ultimately, I think it's important to recognize, this verse is ultimately rooted in the prophecy that, that God gave to Ananias, uh, shortly, shortly after, Paul was converted. Now, Paul told Ananias when he was there at Damascus, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So, so, so when we think about Paul, and, and this is really crucial to understand the book of Romans, is that God had called Paul specifically to transform Christianity from from just a a Jewish phenomenon built around a monolithic, very Jewish culture, to to transform it into a worldwide, multi-ethnic, multicultural movement. And that's what Paul's job was. And and Paul says, then, that, that, that God hadn't merely called him to see as many people as possible get saved. You know, and and so it's not just that we need to see lots and lots of people get saved. No, specifically, God had called him to see the gospel established among all types of people. He says Greeks, barbarians, the wise, and the foolish. Now, we think about these four terms. The Greeks, of course, they're the people in charge. They are the cultured. They are the elite people of Paul's day. And and the Greeks and the Romans, they were, you know, largely synonymous in, in, in how people thought of it. And so, so, so they were the cultured people. They were the powerful people. They were the people with freedom, and they were the people with governmental rights. And in contrast, the Greeks referred to everyone else as the barbarians. And that word barbarian is a word that's actually an onomatopoeia. And so uh, the, 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 what that means then is that, uh, that the Greeks used this word barbarian to mock the languages of other people's. You know, that they didn't speak the the cultured, refined, intellectual language of Greek. No, their language just went bar, 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 bar. And it was a way that they mocked those other peoples. And uh, and to the Greeks, it wasn't just the other other people's languages that were inferior. They believed that they were too. Aristotle, for example, and other Greeks believed that all barbarians should be slaves because they were all below the Greek people. But, of course, God despises such an idea. And he obligated Paul to take the gospel to both the cultured and the uncultured. And then Paul contrasts the wise and the foolish. Now, even the Greeks admitted that there were some foolish Greeks. Okay? And so so this is not just a a repeat of the first contrast. It's It's a contrast between those who are educated and wise and those who are uneducated and foolish. And together, these four terms emphasize that God intends for the gospel to go to all people. The gospel is not just for the upper class, and it's not just for the lower class. It's not solely for those who are powerful, and it's not solely for those who are weak. No, God wants it to go to every corner of society and every corner of the world. And He wants all those people to be gathered together in the same church. you know. And so, so as a side note, it's just hard to comprehend how anyone has ever tried to use the Bible to justify something like racism. Because the gospel was opposed to something like racism long before it was cool, right? Like 2,000 years ago, racism was assumed and normal. And here's Paul saying the goal, we are all the same and we are all to be united together in Christ in his church. And so we are responsible as Christians to build on Paul's stewardship. It's our job to take the gospel to every corner of our community, no matter how culturally near or far that might be. Yeah, and that's good because, you know, I mean, Apple Valley is not a huge place, right? There's 73,000 people in Apple Valley, and yet there's a lot of diversity, even in a town like ours. You can drive around town, you can see some people that are very much like you. And then you can look at some other people and think, man, that guy might as well live on the other side of the world from me because he is so different from me. And so sometimes we, we look for people like us, we look for people that we think will fit in at life point, and we go after people like that, but, but Paul here was very clear that that is not how we are to think, that, that we are to reach all people for Christ, and we should share the gospel with all of them with confidence. That God wants to save every type of person. And the gospel can overcome every barrier. So don't be particular in your evangelism. Share Christ with anyone and everyone that you can. So God gave Paul a tremendous stewardship. However, verse 13 says that that so far God had providentially hindered him from continuing that stewardship in the city of Rome. So, So notice God's providence in verse 13. Now, Paul says that he had long desired, he says, to obtain some fruit among you also who are in Rome. Now, now it's interesting, um, you know, so so speaking there, both both of new converts, right, that he wants to see new new fruit, people saved, but also see the church mature. And, And that makes sense, right? Because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and Rome is the center of the Gentile world. So, so, and there's a church there that's growing and thriving. So, so Paul is part of his mission to, to see the gospel spread to every corner of the earth. Man, there is no more strategic place for Paul to go to do this mission than to go to the city of Rome. But Paul notes that to this point in his life, God had prevented him from fulfilling that ambition. And, and on a human plane, we can understand that, right? That that Paul had been busy planting churches in the eastern portion of the Roman Empire, and and they had consumed his time. You know, there were always more places to go with the gospel, and and then the churches had problems that needed to be resolved, and they needed leaders established, and and all those various things. And so so the church there, and, and all those demands, had kept Paul from doing this work. But of course, Paul here ultimately understands that the reason he had not been to Rome was not because of the churches. It was because, as he says in verse 13, that God had prevented him from coming. And, um, and it's interesting to think about just that delay and what it means for us today. Because would Paul preaching the gospel in Rome be a good thing? Absolutely. But, but you know, if Paul had been to Rome, say, two years earlier, three years earlier he had built relationships with his church, he had preached the gospel among them and understood their problems and dealt with those problems, then then from a human standpoint, we would not have the book of Romans in our hands. And yet God had prevented Paul from going to Rome, I think at least in part, so that the circumstances would arise in which he would write this book, which for close to two millennia now has had a massive impact on God's people and on the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And there's a good lesson for us in that because oftentimes we get frustrated that God closes a door that we think seems so right. Like, why would God not want me to do that? But we have to remember that God's perspective is always bigger than mine. And He sees every threat and every opportunity much better than I do. And it's up to me not to get frustrated at God that he does this and not that, but to just trust him and embrace whatever God's will is for me today. Well, but by the time Paul wrote Romans, he was confident that his work in the eastern part of the church was done. The churches, there were churches to spread the gospel throughout the entire region. Leaders were there who could deal with whatever new challenges would arise. And so verse 15 presents Paul's vision for his next work. He says again, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, I think it is noteworthy that Paul uh, says he wants to preach the gospel not just to those who are unsaved, but also to the church. He includes the church in, in in the scope of his gospel ministry. And that's because we never outgrow the gospel. All true ministry is gospel ministry. And so Paul was eager to extend his gospel ministry to new horizons. And yes, he also wanted to reach new people for Christ, I'm sure. And he later t- and he tells us later that he didn't just want to go to Rome though, right? He wanted to use Rome as a springboard to take the gospel into brand new places where to his knowledge the gospel had never been before. He wanted to go to Spain. And so Paul's zeal here is so convicting and so inspiring. You know that Paul, I mean, again, like he's He's at this point, he is an older man. You know, he has probably reached a state, he is probably, for, for all, you know, he probably has exceeded the normal average lifespan of most people in his day. And he's done so having dealt with all sorts of physical hardships and calamities. He has lived a hard, hard life. He is an old man for all intents and purposes. He has planted churches from You know, Western Greece down to Jerusalem. He has written books of the Bible, and yet Paul's not done. He wants to get to Rome. He wants to make an impact in Rome. And then he wants to take the gospel where it has never been before. And folks, it's a challenge to us that we shouldn't get too comfortable. We need to pray that God would give us a zeal for church planting, for evangelism, for discipleship in every corner of our town. There are people all around us that do not know Christ and as well for the entire world. And then we need to get busy this week sharing the gospel, discipling each other and investing in the church. And we should do so with the same confidence and expectation of Paul that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And as we do His work, He will accomplish his will. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Paul's example to us of zeal for the gospel and zeal for the church. And and Lord, I pray that that we would all uh, just take the the various applications and examples that Paul sets in these verses and that, Lord, your spirit would press them into our hearts. And Lord, I pray uh, that, that, Lord, you would use our church Use our church. Lord, there are so many lost people around us. It's, it's, it's overwhelming to consider the needs uh, here in our community, throughout our state, throughout our country, and throughout the entire world. And so, God, I pray that you would give us a zeal for the spread of the gospel. And, God, I pray that even this week we would be busy sharing Christ, talking about you to each other and to unbelievers, Lord, we would pray that you would send out laborers and that we would labor ourselves. And Father, we pray that you'd use us to reach people for Christ and to see you do great and awesome things that only you can do. And so work among us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.